It is a delight for me to be back in worship with you. I was here a few weeks ago, and it's just an amazing year in your life as you celebrate this anniversary of your founding. This has also been a period of two years in the life of the Presbytery when we have been reimagining, I'm going to use that word, what it is that a Presbytery should be, and more importantly, what a congregation should be. And I've been traveling around the Presbytery sharing that vision with many of our congregations. To be honest, the vision that is to be heard by you today is a vision that you very much already embody. And in that way, you are an example to your sister congregations around this state. I want to recognize that. At the same time, I want to share with you what is needed for the church of Jesus Christ, not just here in Bel Air, but throughout the state and, in fact, throughout this country. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Redeemer and our Sustainer. Amen. Let me start with the story of a thriving congregation. It's actually the story of the first congregation, the Church of Pentecost. Now, I don't know why the disciples gathered in Jerusalem. Perhaps it was to enjoy a reunion, to share memories before returning home and resuming their fishing. That's not what happened on that day. The disciples, caught up by the Spirit, went outside, and they saw both Hebrews and foreigners out there, and they simply told their story with conviction. And the result? 3,000 people were baptized that day. And these folks devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, They held their possessions in common, and they shared with each other as each had need. And daily, not weekly, not monthly, not annually, but daily, many were added to their numbers. The day of Pentecost and the days that follow paint a picture of a thriving, energetic, growing, even exploding church. And while that same church continues in places like Africa, where you are, and in South and Central America, it is increasingly rare in Europe and North America. And yet our hearts yearn to be part of such a thriving church, rather than something that feels like a weekly reunion, where we come together, enjoy each other's company, talk about the past, and then return home. I think our challenge in America is clear. How shall we create thriving congregations in this age? You know, when I was growing up thousands of years ago, society supported the church and its lifestyle. As I remember, everybody was a Christian and a church member. And churches with a building were adding church education wings to house hundreds of kids. And every new community that was built made sure there was space available for a new church. 
And since everybody was a Christian, the task of the church was to provide a nice church home where children could be nurtured and folks could learn a bit about their faith and together extend acts of charity to the disadvantaged. But this age is very different. It's hard for us to acknowledge this, especially in a congregation like this, but most congregations have been shrinking since 1963. And in most congregations, young people have all but disappeared. The average age of a Presbyterian in the United States is over 60 years old. Churches are struggling, and I mean really struggling. I know, I'm over 62, it's all right. (laughs) Churches are struggling with their budgets. And half of our congregations in the Presbyterian Church are under 100 members and are unable to afford a full-time pastor. Today, to be honest, participation in church is sort of counterculture. We find ourselves with a far more fundamental task than when I was young. For we are dealing with people who know little or nothing about Christ and his church. Today, we are called to invite people to meet the real Jesus and to discover the community known as the church. Given the realities of this age and this generation, our teaching and ruling elders around this presbytery realize that the church needs to be something more than a weekly reunion where we remember good times and then return home. We want to recapture the church of Pentecost, to be part of thriving congregations filled with spiritual leaders who wish to be more than disciples who are learning, but want to become apostles in the ministry of reconciliation. But how are we going to do that? Well, that brings me to the second text for this morning. A half dozen disciples are out there fishing. Now, these guys are seasoned fishermen. They know their work. And they have fished all night, and they have caught nothing. And then this guy, Jesus, suddenly appears and tells them to cast their net on the other side. Now, I can imagine them thinking to themselves and maybe with each other, who is this guy? I mean, doesn't he know that sometimes fish just don't bite? But there was something about this stranger that made them try. And so I suspect half-heartedly they threw their nets on the other side and were amazed when their nets were so full they couldn't haul them in and their boat began to sink. Brothers and sisters, for the past 40 years, we've been fishing on the same side of the boat. And frankly, the fish aren't biting and we've caught little. And for years, the Presbyterian Church, but not just the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist, the Episcopal, the Catholic Church, you name it, have accepted slow death or been in denial that it is happening. And so now we have reached a tipping point, and we need to do church differently if it is to thrive and grow in this country and in this age. It's time for us all to throw the nets on the other side of the boat.
So our ruling and teaching elders have concluded we need to focus on congregations in three ways. We need to develop spiritual leaders. We need to encourage congregations to thrive. And we need to challenge each and every one of us to become apostles of reconciliation in our neighborhoods. And I'll explain that in a minute. One of the core areas of our ministry as a Presbytery of Baltimore is the development of spiritual leaders. All Christians, but especially those who are our spiritual leaders, and by that I mean elders and deacons and trustees and educators and choir members, need to be able to articulate succinctly what we believe and why, and why we are Presbyterians. For example, let me share what I might say. I am a Christian because I was fortunate enough to be a counselor in a church camp where I discovered the true meaning and expression of what is known as Christian community. And it was within that community that I came to realize that Jesus was the fullest expression of the divine and that he gave us simply Two tasks, two simple tasks, to love God and to love neighbor. And I'm a Presbyterian because I believe that we best understand what God is trying to say to us today, not by reading an encyclical that is delivered to us from on high, nor by listening to a cacophony of individuals or individual congregations telling us what they think is true but by coming together as different people and together struggling to discern what God has to say to us today. Now, my brothers and sisters, can you articulate your faith and your reason for being a Presbyterian? Many of you can, I am sure. But as leaders, we need to reclaim other acts of Christian practice, one minister challenged his congregation to read the Bible in a year. And, and my brothers and sisters, do you pray daily? I'm not talking about a parking space. Do you believe your prayers make a difference? I know your pastor does. Do you as well? And given the significant changes in the church's context within society in this age, spiritual leaders also need to learn how to assess their community, their congregation, and help their congregations to let go of treasured memories and accept new futures. We need to equip leaders for the church in the 21st century. A second area of ministry within the presbytery will be to encourage our congregations to thrive. Now, I believe in nature, all things that thrive are growing. They're not withering. So I think that thriving congregations grow in spirit and in numbers. And to do that, congregations need a clear sense of purpose and identity, which comes from an honest assessment of their potential, and a willingness to claim a bold new future. 
A third core area of ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul wrote to his church in Corinth using these words. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. For a congregation to truly thrive, it needs to be connected with its community. And most people in most churches today around this country arrive to church with their doors locked and their windows up. Now, that wasn't always the case. And we need to return to a time when the church and the community are one. We need to open the church doors and find a way to open the windows, which generally can't be done anymore in a church, so that we can hear the sounds of the neighborhood and they can hear us singing our songs of praise. You see, that's what happened when the disciples left the room and went out on Pentecost. They connected with the people in Jerusalem. This story reminds us that folks we need to focus on, the folks we need to focus on as a church, are not those who are already in this room. We are not here to focus on each other. We are here to focus on the people who are out there because at its heart, it's not about us. I want to end with a story about my brother. My brother and I, we grew up in a Presbyterian manse, and I was the good child. <laughs> I, I won't seek to prove that. I just take my word for it. And my brother was... Sometimes he went to church, sometimes he didn't as he uh, became an adult. But when he moved into his last town, he decided to join a men's support group at the church. And every Thursday, he would leave work for lunch, go to the men's support group where they would pray together, read the Bible together, and share their lives with each other. And for some reason that I don't know, one day he was driving by the projects in that city and he decided to stop and see what was going on. And he went into the courtyard, and he discovered all these kids just hanging out there. And he got out of his car, and he sat down in one of the benches. And kids, being curious, came over and said, Who are you, and what are you doing here? And he struck up a conversation. And they played with his iPhone. And he had such a good time that he came back the next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. And as he built those relationships with those kids, he came to realize that they couldn't do very well in school because they weren't getting any help at home. And so he went to the management office of the project and said, do you have any space where I could set up a study hall for these kids after school? And amazingly, they had space, and they, they set that up. Now, on Thursdays, when he was with the men's support group, he would share what, they, what he was doing there, and, and they, they were interested. And they engaged in certain acts of charity, giving stuff to these kids. Somebody gave some used computers from their office so that they could access the Internet. Another person owned a professional football team, and my brother had a couple dozen tickets to the ball game and could bring the kids there. Another guy 
owned a deep-sea fishing charter service, and so the kids went out one weekend to go fishing. These were wonderful acts of charity, but there wasn't much relationship being built between the men in the men's support group and those kids. Now, my brother continued to visit that project on a regular basis. And he realized on Sunday morning they weren't doing anything either. And so he went to their moms and he said, would it be all right if I could bring these kids to my church and put them in church school? And the mom said, you know, whatever they want to do, it's fine with us. Go ahead. Now, I have to tell you, if I was the minister of a church and a member of my church said I'd like to bring 15 or 20 kids to church school, I would be thrilled. Do you think they were? The answer is no. They weren't thrilled. Because these were tough kids. And they weren't sure that they wanted them to be hanging out with their good kids. And so when the interim minister left, there was a couple weeks before the new pastor arrived and the Christian Education Committee had a special meeting and, and it was decreed that my brother could only bring three kids for any one classroom, and then he also had to provide an additional adult for supervision. My brother was mad. And he should have been. It was racist. It was unchristian. But he persevered. And the lucky minister arrived with an opportunity on his first week. <laughs> and he did the right thing. And the rules went away. And my brother also decided some months later that maybe they could stay for church. And so he asked the moms again, could they come not only to church school but to worship? And they came to worship. And a year later, my, father, my brother found himself standing behind the baptismal font as four of those kids were baptized. And as I listened to my brother tell that story, I realized that my brother brought more kids into relationship with Christ and Christ's community who had never had any relationship with either than I have done in 40 years of ministry. And I suspect that's true for many of us, even in this room. At some point, the church in North America has to stop having reunions and begin to take up the ministry of reconciliation. We need to stop being simply disciples who come to learn and become apostles who are called and feel called to be sent out into the world to build those relationships and to make friends with others and help them become friends with Jesus. If we are to thrive as congregations, we need to develop spiritual leaders who serve thriving congregations and who welcome those in their neighborhood and offer them the best seat in the house. Are you ready to join with your brothers and sisters around this presbytery in saying no to slow death? To become as apostles, to become, as Paul said, apostles for reconciliation? I invite you to answer yes.
Let us pray. Loving God, let us always keep before us the vision of your church on Pentecost, a thriving, growing, exploding church, and help us always to realize that it's not about us, but it's about those outside of this room who do not yet know you. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you. We are grateful for what you have given to us. Sometimes we're more aware than other times what exactly we have been given. But there are times when the curtain draws away and we can see the magnitude of your love and your grace and your mercy for us. We revel, dear Lord, in the beauty of this earth. There is nothing like a Maryland spring. And we thank you. And even as we're thanking you and basking in what is all around us, there's a small part of us that wonders if it's okay. There are people who are victims of tornadoes so bad that their lives have been destroyed. Forgive us, dear Lord, if we cannot wholly accept the grace and the beauty in our midst right now. We thank you, dear Lord, for opportunities that you have given us to show our gratitude to you. We do confess that sometimes we are entirely distracted by the cues and sometimes overt messages that the world gives us. And that is what we choose to listen to. We know it. We do go the way of fear at times. We do hear the most hideous things that occur and dwell on them. Lord, we ask that you might, through the power of your Holy Spirit, captivate our thoughts. We do have decisions to make, and sometimes the choices are moment to moment. So we come to you now, precious Lord, in the silence of this moment, asking you for forgiveness. Amen. Friends, Christ alone is in a position to condemn, and Christ died for you. Christ reigns in power for you. Christ prays for you. Believe the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. Uh, hi, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Taylor Ross. Uh, like Pastor Linda said, I'm the Summer Youth Director. And uh, as the school year draws to a close, we'd like to recognize our high school graduates in the congregation. Um, being a recent college graduate myself, I can attest that graduation is a time of immense excitement, but also sometimes of fear and anxiety as you try to answer that in incessant question, what's next? Um, so, he, we here at Christ Our King would like to take a moment this morning and encourage and uh, honor you high school graduates as you look to make that next step in your life. Um, and as a part of that, we'd like to present you with a gift. So in these envelopes, there is a voucher for a one-year subscription to Relevant Magazine. Um, it's a, Relevant Magazine is a magazine that 
puts um, faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ in critical conversation with popular culture, um, music, movies, TVs, and all that. Um, so we hope that this gift will be an encouragement to you as you, uh, wherever you may be and whatever you may be doing next year. Um, so as I call your name, uh, if you'll come up to the front and just stay here, uh, hold the envelope and stay here while, while we uh, pass the rest of them out, and then Pastor Linda will uh, offer a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing for you all. So um, Jacqueline Andres, Andrew Bain, Lauren Cushion, Hope Doherty, Jacob Dean, Jonathan Frieswick, Sarah Jackman, Zach Krebs, Allison Poost, Lauren Smith. We are very proud of you. You know, a lot of things that used to wipe some of the kids out when they went to college or went on to what is next is they had a really hard time struggling with what it means to be a Christian. So many of you have already taken it to a deeper level. You deal with ambiguity. You ask the hard questions. You understand that Jesus Christ is real and alive in your life. And just know that we will be praying for you and we are proud of you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for each of these graduates and also the ones who are graduating from college and other situations. We thank you for these um, kids, young adults who have been nurtured in your love, who have been rooted in the liturgy and the teachings of the church universal, who have already asked questions, grappled with issues, tried to understand just who it is that you are in their lives. Together, we join all our hearts to pray for our future. It sounds like such a cliche, but it's real. This is the future of the church. Imbue them with the truth about you. Help them to remember that they are loved, loved, loved. We ask, dear Lord, for your blessing upon them. We're not asking you that it would be easy or without challenge. We know what makes us grow. But we ask, dear Lord, that they would cling to you. So it is with a great deal of joy and promise and hope that we give these students and thank you for them. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.